12, John chapter 12. Uh, next week is Palm Sunday. We all, I think, are familiar with uh, those events where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. We'll be talking about that next week. And then in two weeks, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, we're in a 40-day period right now called Lent. And we are walking through the last days of Jesus. And we're getting closer to his death and resurrection. And we know what happened on Palm Sunday. But today I want to take a look at what happened before Palm Sunday. So in John chapter 12, you can see beginning in verse number 12, Jesus is entering Jerusalem on the donkey as a king. But the first 11 verses have to do with another story that I want to concentrate on today. You know, we sing a lot of songs about Jesus being our friend. And aren't you glad he's the best friend you've ever had? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. You sing an old hymn, Friendship with Jesus, Fellowship Divine. Oh, what blessed sweet communion. Jesus is a friend of mine. And that's wonderful. And whenever we sing about being friends with Jesus, we typically sing about what a wonderful friend he is to us. And I'm not going to argue that point at all because Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have. It's not a friendship between equals. We understand that. He's perfect in power, in grace. We're weak. We're in need of his mercy every day. But what a privilege it is that we may refer to him as a friend. He is our friend. But today, out of the first 11 verses of John 12, I want us to talk not so much about his friendship with us. I want us to think about our friendship with him. No doubt, Jesus is our best friend. But the question I want to pose today is, how good of a friend are you to Jesus? How good of a friend am I to Jesus? We're going to see three main characters in this story, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Very close friends of Jesus, but they demonstrated the friendships in three distinct ways. And I want us to look at how these three individuals demonstrated their friendship. And then we're going to consider how we can follow their example. So our text, John chapter 12, uh, most of John's gospel focuses on the final weeks of Jesus' life. And, and the countdown has begun. We're not to Palm Sunday yet, but the countdown has begun. And this is just a few days, the Bible says, before the Passover feast. A few days before the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus goes to visit some close friends. They're lifelong friends. It's in a very small town called Bethany. And Jesus went to Bethany to visit specifically Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Now think for a moment. Jesus knew, as Steve said, he had set his heart, his eyes, his focus upon Jerusalem. 
He knew he was on the way to the crucifixion. But on the way, he went to visit some friends. And he made this detour. He went to Bethany. But no doubt, his heart was heavy. He knew that he would soon experience anguish and pain beyond description. Now, his friends, including these three three friends, might not have understood, probably didn't really, everything that was about to happen. But they knew something was up. They could just sense there was something. And they knew Jesus needed their friendship at that point. So what did they do? They decided to have a dinner in his honor. They gathered around food, social fellowship, much like we do. And it's in that context that our our message takes place. And we're going to see that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were the same kind of friend to Jesus that he was to them. Beginning in verse number 1, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Remember that story? Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then the third character the sister Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of Chanel number five. No, no, no. It was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Not sure what kind of perfume it was, But it smelled really good. But one of the disciples who was there, you'll recognize him, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus replied, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. And they came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. I'm going to reread those last two verses because they're really important and we tend to skip over sometimes these details. The chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus. Why? Because of the testimony 
that Lazarus had been resurrected by Jesus, because of that testimony, the signs and wonders, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Heavenly Father, I pray in the next half hour that you will open our spiritual ears, that we might hear from your Holy Spirit. Lord, may this text come alive to us, God. Oh, we know about Palm Sunday. We know about the resurrection. Today, Lord, I pray that we will learn how we can be better friends of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want to say again, um, the friendship that we have with Jesus will never be friendship among peers or among equals. Jesus is our Lord. He's our Savior. We're sinners made saints only because of grace. Yet, we know throughout the Bible, Jesus calls us friends. He says, I no longer call you servants. I will call you a friend. Oh, 20 years ago, we used to sing a song, I am a friend of God. And some people almost got a little puffed up. I'm a friend of God. Like they were equal with God or something. No. But the fact is, Jesus died for us, and he wants to enter into a relationship as Savior, but also as a friend. He called us a friend. And I'd say that friendship with Jesus is not intended to be as one-sided as sometimes the songs that we sing make it out to be. Just as he has extended his friendship to us, I'm challenging us today. Here's your challenge. Extend your friendship to Jesus. I'm not talking about just giving your heart to him. I'm talking about being his friend. Being on his side in conversations. Standing up for his truth in times that you're discussing world events. I'm talking about defending Jesus even when you don't understand what he's doing, but having that kind of trust. So we're going to talk today about what that might look like, and we're going to look at the three characters in this story, and as we look at each character, we're going to see an example of their friendship with Jesus and how we should strive for it. So I want to start with Martha. Martha. It's interesting that John has only one small thing to say about Martha. There's a dinner held in Jesus' honor, and here's what John records. Martha served. Now, if you're acquainted with Martha and Mary, you'll know that that was Martha's personality. She was the one that was always showing her act or her, her love to Jesus by serving Mary was the one that was more devoted to Jesus. But they still were both friends of Jesus. You might remember that other story. Jesus is a guest at their home a whole different other time. Remember, Martha's busy preparing everything. She's getting a little stressed out. She sees that Mary is not doing her part. And she says, Lord, my sister is not even helping me. And Jesus kind of turns the tables and says, well, maybe, Martha, you need to quit being so busy and spend a little bit more time in my presence. 
like your sister. But Jesus never criticizes Martha for serving. And here we don't see her in a negative light. It's simply said that her friendship with Jesus is demonstrated by her service. Bible says we can have all the faith in the world, but if we don't have any actions, if we don't have any works, if we don't have any deeds, our faith is futile. Faith without service is not really faith. So Jesus made it clear service is essential. Worship's a high priority for all of us. We enjoy getting together once a week and, and worshiping. And I appreciate our worship team. But let me tell you, setting up tables and chairs is also essential. Somebody made the coffee we enjoyed today. That's essential. Running the vacuum cleaner is essential. Putting offering envelopes in those pockets of the chairs is essential. Mowing the grass is essential. Those running the sound system and running the media, those are essential as well. Service is essential. If you want to be a friend of Jesus, you need to be like Martha. You need to serve. Where were all the amens then? Come on. Did I hit too close to home? It's important for us to serve. We're not all going to serve in the same way. We know that. The hand and the foot have different functions. The ear and the nose have different functions. We understand that. But to be complete and whole, we need to find our part. The great thing about Martha, she was willing to serve in the background. Hardly any recognition. Two words here. Martha served. Now notice the text goes on and on and on about Mary and the wonderful thing she did with the oil. It goes on and on and on about Lazarus. Martha just gets one little sentence she served. But that's how Martha expressed her friendship. I, I want to propose to you today that Martha didn't feel the need to be in the center of attention. Martha didn't need to get credit for every move she made. In fact, I kind of think Martha would serve even if she hadn't been noticed. That's what true servants do. You can tell how mature your servant's heart is, is if you serve someone and they don't appreciate it. Man, where did Martha ever adopt such an attitude? Maybe from her best friend. Listen to what Jesus said. Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve. Martha saw the heart of Jesus in service. 
Martha demonstrated her friendship to Jesus by also serving. I've got to ask myself, and I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to serve Jesus out of the spotlight? Are you willing to serve Jesus without getting any credit? Even more difficult, are you willing to serve Jesus when other people get the attention? And you barely get a mention. I think Martha's friendship with Jesus was so deep and so mature, she expressed in her willingness to serve quietly, in the background, behind the scenes. She was a servant just like her friend Jesus was a servant. And I pray that all of us can follow her example. But the second sister in the story, Mary, loved Jesus equally. She had a different way of expressing her love and her appreciation and showing her friendship to the Lord. Notice as Jesus and the others reclined at the table. And remember in, in this day, uh, in the Middle East, you didn't sit in a chair. You actually reclined on the floor in front of a table and the table was built low to the ground. That's culturally the way that they ate. So Mary came and ministered to Jesus in a very special way. Matthew, I mean, John tells us about it. As Jesus and the others reclined, she broke this alabaster vial of expensive, fragrant perfume. The very kind that was used to anoint someone before they were buried. So really, there's a little bit of a prophetic thread to this text. Then she poured the oil on his feet and began wiping his feet with her hair. Okay, two, two things we got to talk about here. Two points of, again, cultural significance. Because we're living in 2022 in America, and it's hard for us to understand the culture that this dinner party was set in. First of all, it was considered less than honorable to ever touch the feet of another person. That was reserved only for the slaves. The slaves could come and wash the guests' feet, which makes it even more significant that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. But it was absolutely taboo for you to touch the foot of another person, unless you were a slave. Mary wasn't a slave. And then Mary would do this during a meal with other people present. Man, it shows the depth of her devotion to Jesus. How many times do you want to do something and then you're worried about what your friends might say? Mary didn't succumb to peer pressure here. The depth of her devotion to Jesus was beyond what was socially acceptable at that time. And the second thing, the fact that she dried his feet with her hair is significant. That just seems weird to me, you know? It really does. It was very uncommon, first of all, for a woman to ever appear in public with her hair uncovered 
or unbound. It needed to be bound. It needed to be covered. In fact, I read in one commentary, it said it wasn't just uncommon, it was improper for a woman to let her hair down and not allow her head to be covered. Almost guaranteed, Mary would not have gone to the public market with her hair down. But in this intimate setting of close friends, she took a bold step with no regard for social customs. The Bible says the perfume that she poured on the feet of Jesus was worth thousands of dollars. <laughs> a year's worth of wages. Now you might ask yourself, how did Mary even come into possession of such costly perfume? Well, some scholars say it was probably part of her dowry. She was supposed to be saving it for when she got married. Or another commentary that I read this week said it was intended for members of her family to be used in preparation for their burial. So here's the precious oil that is part of my family I'm supposed to use for my parents' burial. And I've been trusted with it. But I'm so devoted and in love with Jesus, I use it to show my love, my devotion for her. Either way, it doesn't matter how she, you know, came into possession of the oil. It was an extravagant gift, even for a close friend. Shows her devotion. Then, of course, Judas here felt the need to speak up. You ever had a friend like Judas? Always needs to throw some cold water on the party, right? Actually shaded the host. Man, there's so many things wrong here with Judas in this story. It takes an entire sermon for me to point them all out. But here's an abbreviated version. It doesn't take long to realize that Judas was just another one of those sanctimonious self-important hypocrites that we unfortunately still deal with in today's society who make it a point at every opportunity to call out the faults of other people. You know, a person can be doing seven great things, but Judases of our life will point out the one thing that the person's not doing up to par. It's just an attitude. And that's the attitude Judas had. He, he pointed out this fault, what he thought was a fault, when he said, man, this perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And it sounds so virtuous. I mean, who's against giving money to the poor? But John makes it clear, Judas cared nothing about the poor, nothing. He was the group's treasurer. He was skimming off the top. Besides, it wasn't even his resource. It belonged to Mary. Isn't that interesting how we can tell other people what to do with their money? I mean, it was hers. She could have done whatever she wanted with it. Her perfume was none of Judas's business. 
Have you noticed the people like Judas? Everything is their business. <laughs> they make everything their business. Most amazing, I think, is that after Mary had finished this wonderful act of devotion, Judas basically referred to it as a waste. <laughs> now, let's put that in perspective. Imagine that someone has given you a party. Maybe it's your 50th wedding anniversary. Maybe it's your 40th birthday. I don't know, you've got friends coming and you've got family there and it's a wonderful party and somebody loves you enough to bring you an expensive gift. And you begin to open it and one of your best friends looks and says, well, what a waste. I think that gift should have been given to somebody else. And the party was in your honor. How would you feel about that? Here's something to keep in mind, friends. Whenever you criticize the kindness of another person, you're sounding more like Judas than Jesus. I'll say it again. Whenever you criticize the kindness of another person, you're sounding more like Judas than Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Well, he immediately comes to Mary's defense and says, leave her alone. She's done a good thing. She has prepared me for my burial. And again, he's speaking symbolically and prophetically. The crucifixion we know is still several days away. But in effect, he was saying, Mary's act of devotion has prepared me for what lies ahead. Because Jesus knew where he was headed. So what can we say about Mary's friendship? We've talked about Martha. What about Mary? <laughs> well, she gave no thought to what other people might think, what society might think. She didn't give any thought to the financial cost. She only thought of what Jesus might need during this dark, difficult hour. And she took initiative. She needed to do what she knew that Jesus needed at that moment. And she didn't wait for permission. How obedient are we to the voice of the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit stirs in our heart, you know, this is what you should do. And instead of immediately doing it, we begin to count the cost. Oh, what will my spouse think? Well, what will my pastor think? Well, that's going to be an investment of an hour time, and I don't have it. And what happens if I get to that house and knock on the door, and the person rejects me? And we go on and on and on, instead of being like Mary, saying, I will be a friend of Jesus and do what the Holy Spirit has asked me to do. Now, where do you think Mary learned that kind of friendship? <laughs> Maybe from her best friend, Jesus. Remember what had happened just a few days before? She stood helplessly as her brother died. She went to her brother's funeral. She went to her brother's burial. And the Bible says four days had passed. And then here comes Jesus to visit. And all Mary could do was pour out all of her grief to Jesus. 
Jesus, my brother Lazarus died. And she tried to find comfort. If you read those scriptures in chapter 11, she tried to find comfort that, oh, someday I'll see him again in heaven. And then Jesus did this amazing miracle, something more wonderful than she ever would have imagined. He called her brother's name, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was resurrected from the dead. She didn't ask him to do anything. <laughs> he just knew. He knew what Mary needed. She learned from it, and she knew what Jesus needed. Oh, maybe she remembered Jesus saying, your father knows what you need before you even ask. So we need to follow Mary's example of friendship. Now, clearly, we're probably never going to find ourselves in the same situation interacting with Jesus in a human context. But I want you to remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25, 40. Here's what Jesus said. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So we might not serve Jesus the way that Mary and Martha served, but we have opportunity to serve Jesus by serving others. Man, you don't have to look very many blocks away and you'll see countless opportunities to minister to hurting people. People have no way of putting into words the pain that they endure or the fears that they might have. But if you look at their direction, take the initiative to reach out to them. If you put aside your worries about what people might say and the criticism that might come your way, if you just take the initiative to minister love and friendship to those marginalized, those on the fringe, Jesus will receive it as an act of friendship. So the example of friendship we see in Martha, <laughs> she is willing to put her ego aside, serve without recognition. The example we see in Mary's life, she's willing to give of herself, to take the initiative, to demonstrate her devotion to Christ. And now thirdly, let's look at Lazarus. What did Lazarus do? I reread verses 10 and 11 because I want you to notice that he was willing to put his life on the line for Jesus. See, for some time, the chief priests, those in authority, had been looking for any way to take Jesus out of circulation, put him to prison or put him to death. He knew he was a target. Jesus knew that. His followers understood that to a degree. It was a way of life for them in these final weeks of ministry. But suddenly, notice, it wasn't just Jesus they wanted. Lazarus was a marked man. Verse 10, the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Why? Because he was this walking, talking miracle. He was proof of 
Jesus' power over death. And because of Lazarus, many had left behind their old way of religion and they had put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So the religious leaders decided, well, we can't take Jesus out right now. Let's take Lazarus out. He was a marked man. Now, at that point, Lazarus had a decision to make. He could have said, wow, thanks, Jesus, for a second chance of life. Thank you for resurrecting me, and I want to extend my life as long as possible. I don't want to cause any problems for you, so I'll just lay low. I'll, I'll just kind of stay in the background here. I mean, no point in drawing attention to yourself if you're a marked man, right? He could have said that. But what did he do? He decides to throw a party to invite his neighbors. Say, come on over to my house. Jesus is here. He's going to be the guest of honor. He wanted people to know his story. And by telling this story, Lazarus, in effect, was putting a price on his own head. But he didn't care. He didn't care. He demonstrated his friendship by saying, Jesus, I'm going to stand by you no matter what the cost is. I won't compromise. I won't be quiet. I'll speak out. Man, where in the world did Lazarus learn how to be that kind of friend? Same place Mary learned how to be that kind of friend. Same place Martha learned to be that kind of friend. Because it was Jesus himself that said in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. All three of the characters in this story learned how to be a friend by watching Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for you and me. That's why we're going to take communion in just a moment. The bread representing his broken body. The juice representing his blood. There are hundreds of thousands of believers today that literally are giving their life for the Lord. We're so isolated here in the United States, in, you know, just the West. Dr. Todd Johnson, who is professor of global Christianity at Gordon Cromwell Theological Seminary, has said, since the day of Pentecost... There's been approximately 70 million followers of Christ that have been martyred for their faith. Think of that. 70 million? I follow a ministry called Open Doors. They tell us today, in this 24-hour period, there'll be approximately 15 Christ followers that will be put to death someplace in the world. 15 people today. See, some Christians, like those in North Korea, have been 
called upon to demonstrate that ultimate expression of friendship in Jesus, to give their very life for him, just as he gave his life for us. Realistically, that's probably not going to happen to any of us, probably not going to happen in our country, but we can be sure of this. There will come a time in each of our lives where we're going to have an opportunity to stand near Jesus or to step back and isolate ourselves from Jesus, from his values, from the word of God. Like Lazarus, we need to be willing to say, Jesus, I'm going to stand with you no matter what it costs. Like Lazarus, we need to be the kind of friend of Jesus that he has been to you and to me. The best friend you'll ever have is Jesus Christ. If you've not accepted him as your savior, do that. Open up your heart to him. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me by your blood. Fill me with your spirit. Give me a desire to follow you. I give up control of my life and I allow you to be the Lord of my life. That's so important. I also want us to think about as we take communion, not just what a great friend Jesus has been to us, but what kind of a friend are we to Jesus? We can look at Martha. She is willing to set her ego aside and serve without recognition. Maybe some of us are called to do that this week. Maybe some of us will be called to be like Mary and willing to give of ourself. Take the initiative to demonstrate our devotion to Jesus. Maybe some of us will be like Lazarus and have to make a decision in that conversation or in that social group that we're going to stand with Jesus and the biblical values that he has left us no matter what the cost. We'll never be as close a friend to Jesus as he is to us. But let's try. <laughs> let's try to be Martha's and Mary's and Lazarus. They all have different ways of expressing their love and devotion to Jesus. And you'll have a different personality than your spouse or your neighbor or your friend. And that'll be the predominant way of being a friend to Jesus. But I think the Lord would want us all to be a friend to him in all three of these areas. It'll make a difference in how you serve. It'll make a difference if you take that initiative, if you stand with Jesus. That's what really receiving communion is about today. He has already given his life for you. Today, as we take communion, I want you to think about how you can be a friend to him.